My brothers and sisters, this morning I'd like to continue on in our exploration of these homilies on John chapter 6 on the Eucharist. I'll be focusing actually on our first reading, uh, but I'm going to springboard off of what was spoken last week. If you remember last week, I talked about the Eucharist under two titles. The Eucharist is the bread of life on the one hand, and then also the Eucharist is the bread of angels, which is kind of a favorite title for the Eucharist of mine. I think that's a, it's a neat, it's a really great title. So the Eucharist is the bread of life. Talked about what, what's the life that we're dealing with here. Well, it's the life of the world to come that we hear about in our creed that we recite every Sunday in the creed right at the end. The life of the world to come, the life of the resurrection. And then what's, what is the Eucharist is the bread of angels? What, first of all, do angels eat? Well, no, they don't eat. But they feast of a, they have a feast of a sorts, and it's, it's the feast of the vision of God. The angels behold the face of God. And the Eucharist, because it enables us to attain our final destiny, our final end, which is the vision of God, therefore we call it the bread of angels. And, uh, it's the bread of angels, and it's the bread of life, because it is Jesus Christ Himself, risen from the dead, in glory, participating in the power and in the life of the world to come, possessed in a preeminent fashion of the vision of God. And when we receive him in Holy Communion, it's like a seed that's placed in our hearts that will eventually sprout in the world to come, in the future. And uh, that life of the world to come, and that vision of God will be realized. But it will be realized through our faithful reception of Holy Communion on a regular basis and, of course, living our lives in conformity with the demands of of Holy Communion, with the demands of the Eucharist. Okay, so also today what I'd like to do is talk about how Holy Communion, the Eucharist, and our liturgy in general is, again, oriented towards the life of the world to come. It's oriented that way, but I'm going to get into more specifics as to how it is that way, okay? And uh, let's draw, I'm going to draw your attention to our first reading here. We've got the story of Elijah. It's a really neat story. Okay, so Elijah's traveling through the desert, and he's trying to make it to Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai represents in the Bible the place of the vision of God. Because if you go back to the book of Exodus, the elders of Israel, the leaders of Israel, there's this passage in Exodus 24, a very famous one. It says they're invited up to top of Mount Sinai. And uh, they eat and they drink and they behold God. So they're actually eating and drinking. There's kind of like a banquet that's prepared for them. And they're beholding God. They actually, there's a vision of God that they experience. And then Moses himself, again, ten chapters later in Exodus 34, there's a famous passage where, where Moses has a vision of God. So Sinai is known as this place that represents the vision of God. And if Elijah's journeying towards that place, then it becomes... His journey becomes a metaphor for our journey. We're traveling through this life. We don't see God right now. We walk by faith, not by sight. But we're journeying towards that ultimate destiny that we have of the vision of God, the blessed vision of God in heaven. Now, this journey is very difficult. Okay, Specifically, it's morally difficult Okay, when it comes to the moral life. There are pitfalls everywhere. We've got the world. Okay, We've got a corrupt kind of like broader social system and and culture that influences us in a bad moral direction. We've got our own fallen human nature that constantly leads us astray. And then we've got the devil on our back. So it's like we've got three big enemies against us, all right? It's difficult. 
it's morally difficult. There's lots of temptations, lots of pitfalls and, and, and snares, and we're tempted like Elijah is to give up and just die. Okay, we just just say forget about it. All right, and uh, when we talk about the the death that we're talking about here, it's really the death of the soul, not the death of the body, but the death of the soul, the death of the life of grace that's in us. Just we want to be tempted just to say forget about it I, I'm not going to be a saint that's impossible that's for other people way holier than me and um, you know who cares and that's the, that's the temptation now what happens though in the story of Elijah he falls asleep right he's ready to give up and he wakes up and he finds some bread from an angel okay that's that's been given to him so he's got the bread of angels provided for him and what does that bread do for him it strengthens him so that he can make that journey and make it to, to, the, to Mount Sinai, to the vision of God. Okay. So also in this life, Holy Communion strengthens us morally so that we can effectively resist temptations of the world and the flesh and the devil. Okay. So the Council of Trent teaches us, this is, a, this is an ancient church council, for, not ancient, I'm sorry, it's a few hundreds, it's, it's old, but it's not ancient, it's a few hundred years old. It says this, it says, The Eucharist is the spiritual food of souls, whereby they may be nourished and strengthened. So specifically, what does the Eucharist do for us? How does it help us attain that life of the world to come? It does it through strength, through moral and spiritual strength. And the Council of Trent continues, it goes on and says, The Eucharist is an antidote whereby we may be freed from daily faults. So there's, there's one benefit. It's, it frees us from daily faults. And it preserves us from mortal sin. Mortal sin is the real bad thing. That's the, that's the kind of sin that kills the life of God in us. Okay, So it frees us from daily faults and it preserves us from mortal sin. Very, very important. That's how it strengthens us. That's how it enables us to make this journey. So let me explain it a little bit more thoroughly what we're talking about with these two benefits of, of Holy Communion. When it says it frees us from daily faults, what, it, what we're talking about are venial sins. The all-important distinction preached on this maybe twice, at least once past Lent. The, the difference between venial and mortal sin, how important it is to really get that down. Okay, Because our salvation depends on avoiding mortal sin. It depends on a lot of things, but one of the things it depends on is avoiding mortal sin. So we really have to have discernment to tell the difference between a mortal and a venial sin. So, uh, you know, that, that question aside, if we just kind of get that distinction here, what actually, the, one of the benefits of Holy Communion is that it frees us, it actually forgives venial sin. So to the extent that we're ready, to the extent that our hearts and our minds are open, when we receive Holy Communion, we have the forgiveness of venial sins through reception of Holy Communion. That's an awesome, awesome benefit. Okay. Um, and uh, now what, when it comes to mortal sin, the Eucharist is not the, the remedy for that. The Sacrament of Reconciliation is the, is the remedy for mortal sin. So if our conscience convicts us of mortal sin, we actually shouldn't receive Holy Communion. It's not going to help us. It'll, it'll actually hurt us spiritually. So instead, what we should do is get ourselves to confession and get ourselves back in a state of grace and then receive Holy Communion and, and then it will be beneficial for us. But if we're in a state of grace and we receive it, not only does it affect the forgiveness of venial sins, but it gives us strength of will to continue with the self-control that we need to 
obey and live our lives according to the moral law. And at a more fundamental level, it strengthens our love of God. Okay, and when we have, when we're strong in the love of God, mortal sin can't can't tempt us. Okay, so that's what it really that's the most important function of it. It strengthens us in the love of God, and if we really love God, uh, we obey His His law. Okay, so those are the two things that the Holy Communion does for us. But we've got to be properly disposed to really receive those benefits. So what does it mean to be disposed, this kind of fancy word? Well, it means to be positioned correctly in our minds and in our hearts and in our souls. So first of all, we've got to have a right um, state of soul. Our soul's got to be in a state of grace. All right, We can't be conscious of any mortal sin. So that's the first sort of requirement. The second requirement is that when we come to Mass, we should simply open up our hearts and our minds. And we should do that by preparing beforehand. We come here, and I, as I said before, I, I you know, uh, boast about you guys all the time. I think St. Patrick's is a very prayerful church. I come in here, and there's people who spend 10 minutes or more sometimes praying before Mass and getting ready for it. It's a really wonderful thing. Nice quiet time of the day in the morning here. That's wonderful. So we should all do that. We should prepare ourselves through prayer for, uh, for Mass. And then also when we receive Holy Communion and afterwards, we should be praying and thanking God. Okay. Now, St. Alphonsus Liguori, one of my favorite uh, saints, he says this. He says, there's no prayer more agreeable to God or more profitable to the soul than that which is made during the Thanksgiving after Communion. It's the opinion of many theologians that Holy Communion, so long as, this, as it lasts within our stomach, constantly produces greater and greater graces in the soul, provided the soul is then constant in disposing itself by new acts of virtue. Okay, what is he talking about there? What does this mean? Essentially, it's this. We should be prayerful when we receive Holy Communion. After we receive Holy Communion, we should continue to pray. We should uh, open up our hearts and our minds and lift them up to God and say, Lord, I love you, making these acts of love, Lord, I believe you, I hope, okay, so faith, hope, love, whatever your will is for my life, I want to do that, I abandon myself to your providence and to your will for me and for my family, okay, so that kind of openness, that's what will position us to receive all those graces, the, the, the forgiveness of venial sin and the strengthening of our love of God so that we avoid mortal sin in the future, St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi, that's a funny name, right? De Pazzi is actually it's an Italian name that means the crazy ones of the crazy ones. It's a family name. She didn't choose it herself. So St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi says this about Holy Communion. The minutes that follow communion are the most precious we have in our lives. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. The minutes that follow communion are the most precious we have in our lives. That was a funny story, I'll tell you. Another Italian saint, sorry about this, Alphonsus de Pazzi, and then I got another guy, Philip Neri, okay? So if there's any Irishmen out there, I apologize, all right? All these Italian saints. Funny story about St. Philip Neri. You know, he saw uh, at, at maybe it was a Sunday Mass or daily Mass, I don't know, but there was this guy who habitually, he received communion, and he just went, whoosh, just flew out the door right after receiving communion. He did it all the time. <laughs> That was his M.O. And so St. Philip Neri took two, asked two altar boys to take two candles and follow him out down the street 
So if you can imagine this guy's walking on the street and these two altar boys like come up by sides of him like with candles. He's like, what's going on? Everybody's staring. He's really embarrassed. Now, we know that the candles, they signify the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Okay, that's why we have them up by the altar because the altar is the place where the Eucharist takes place. So the candle is signifying that the Holy Eucharist is in this guy and he's ignoring it. All right, and he's just kind of going about his, his day. All right, so for about 10 minutes or 15 minutes, Christ risen from the dead in his humanity as well as his divinity is actually present in our bodies. Our very bodies are tabernacles of the risen Christ uh, when we receive Holy Communion. It's a really special thing. So the guy's embarrassed and he goes back to St. Philip Neri and he says, uh, what's going on? And, and Philip says to him, we have to pay proper respect to our Lord whom you are carrying away with you. Since you neglect to adore him, I sent two altar boys to do that for you. So <clears throat> the guy kind of got the message and he, and he slowed, his, slowed things down and he, and he started to pray after he received Holy Communion. Um, it is the case, though, I do have to add this, is that uh, sometimes, like, say, for example, uh, there's a daily Mass and uh, there's someone who's work, they go to work right before daily Mass. Now, if they have to jet, they really do because of their job, God will give them the graces they otherwise would have gotten through uh, prayer. Okay, If they really have to, it's good to receive communion, even if you have to jet, like if you really have to. I'm not talking about the football game or something like that. But if you really have to, uh, don't don't withhold yourself from communion. Receive it and, and go. And God will give you the graces that you would have received uh, through prayer, but that you couldn't in this, in this circumstance. So, my brothers and sisters, in closing, we should appreciate anew the main reason the Lord instituted the Eucharist, and that is spiritual strength for the journey. Let us prepare to receive it and give a generous thanksgiving for it afterwards. Then, like Elijah, strengthened in the desert to make his journey to Sinai, we too, through Holy Communion, will receive the strength that we need to face the temptations of this life and make it to our final destination, the life of the world to come and the vision of God in heaven.